Hello, I'm Ramey. And this is Dakota. And you're listening to Leveling Duo, the podcast where two friends talk about video games they really enjoy. Dakota, what are you talking about today? Uh, well, today I think I was going to talk about one of my more favorite top tier, in my opinion, PS2 era games, Dragon Quest VIII, Journey of the Cursed King, which I've, is uh, actually my introduction to the Dragon Quest games. I've heard a little about this game, but not much. I remember when I got it the year that it was released in 2014, come out in the spring, but I think I had to wait like a month or two later to get it. At the time, it was just uh, kind of hard to get to the store because I had to wait for a ride. <laughs> yeah. But, uh... <laughs> I mean, I thought it was a lot of fun. Uh, the main thing that kind of drove me to it was, uh, like, I was a, you know, Dragon Ball, Dragon Ball Z fan growing up, and uh, Kira Toriyama, the creator of Dragon Ball and, you know, author-illustrator, is also the illustrator and character designer for the Dragon Quest series of games. Has been since their inception, I believe. Uh, pretty sure that he has been. Uh, he's not the only artist, but he is the main artist. Uh, and I will attempt to pronounce the uh, other artist's names. And I apologize uh, for any of our listeners if I completely messed this up, so please don't judge me too harshly. Aside from Akira Toriyama, you have uh, Takayuki uh, Samashima and Kazunari Matsuo. Those are your three artists that worked on the game, and the developers were Level 5 and the original PS2 release, and then there was a re-release on 3DS by Square Enix, which uh, Square Enix was also the original publisher. Okay. I know Square Enix because I played Octopath Traveler a bit, and of course I know from Dragon Quest, but I don't know much else about them. I almost bought Octopath 2 today. I was at the GameStop. Well, I've heard, you know, good things about Octopath, but uh, the Dragon Quest uh, 8 game, uh, like all the other Dragon Quests and the original trilogy, Dragon Warrior... Uh, is a kind of classic turn-based uh, JRPG. Follows a uh, fairly linear storyline. Uh, you have a main story, follow through the adventure. Typically, you start off with a small party, only one, maybe two people. And then as your adventure goes, you know, trying to quest after the big bad, trying to find the items that you need to, you know, defeat the big bad, you get more party members get stronger, and inadvertently there's usually some sort of secret history about the main protagonist that is found out through the course of the game, which also, too, like most uh, Dragon Quest games, uh, from the way I understand the workings of them, because my main uh, experiences have been with 8 and 11. I haven't really uh, touched too much on the other ones, at least uh, not to the point of completion. Typically, there's a quote-unquote like main ending that you play through, too, and then there's a uh, quote-unquote post-game portion that you can play through and then achieve the true ending of the game. In the case of 8, essentially like the way the story kind of like starts off uh, in the cutscene, which I do love the cutscenes by the way, voice acting included, uh, though uh, the uh, original uh, first main big bad that you travel after is a... Uh, court jester of the kingdom of Trodane named uh, Dual Magus, uh, who steals a uh, sealed scepter out of the castle that turned out to be cursed to gain power, and uh, ended up uh, casting a really powerful uh, cursed spell on the entirety of Trodane Castle, uh, turning the king into a troll and the princess, uh, and the king's name is Trode, by the way, <laughs> okay. uh, it turns into a troll, but he looks kind of like more like a toad. 
uh, and then the princess Medea into a horse. Medea. Mm-hmm. I and, like that name. And uh, the rest of the inhabitants were turned into, like, thorny vines and plants. Uh, the only uh, person that was left uh, unaffected by the spell was the main protagonist, a uh, lowly guard uh, of the castle, who uh, you play as, and you go uh, kind of rescue the king and the princess, and you set on a quest to uh, track down Dulmagus and to try to break the spell on the kingdom and the king and the princess. Yeah. Through the course of your adventures in uh, this iteration of Dragon Quest, uh, you're joined by Yangus, a bandit, who, uh, you know, you save uh, kind of like pre-game in a cutscene, and uh, he, you kind of changes his ways. You're just like, I owe you my life. So, he's got a pretty funny, I think the term is a Cockney accent. Uh, like the real British slang, not proper English. Yeah, like, like, yeah, like he's just like, he's all bruv, this, yeah. and, you know, like, you know, like the... He doesn't uh, fully pronounce a lot of his words and syllables. Okay. But uh, he's uh, kind of like more your like tanky character in the group. Uh, then you're joined by uh, Jessica, who is a mage uh, that is uh, on a quest to uh, avenge her brother who died. Mm-hmm. And then uh, finally Angelo, who is a kind of a, a playboy Templar knight. Uh, that has a bad habit of flirting and gambling. And basically, like, and he joins because, uh, well, story spoilers, the abbot uh, at his abbey that essentially raised him uh, is killed by uh, Dulmagus' schemes and so joins the party in a quest to avenge the abbot. From there, uh, basically, you're just going to, like, travel through different kingdoms, different uh, type of environments, finding different monsters, clearing dungeons, leveling up, you know, gaining different abilities. Uh, in this iteration of the game, uh, each character has uh, different skill trees that they can put their skill points into that they gain from leveling up or consuming what's known as a seed of skill, which uh, usually uh, attributes just one skill point per consumption, and yeah. they're kind of hard to come by. And uh, essentially, like, all the characters have kind of like real base trees, like they all have access to a tree of called fisticuffs, where essentially it's just all unarmed yeah, uh, combat. I, I was going to say that sounds exactly <laughs> what it uh, is. Then each of them also have like a unique tree uh, that only they have access to. Uh, like the uh, main hero, um, his is uh, bravery. And that kind of gives him access to uh, quote unquote like main protagonist abilities in Dragon Quest, which is uh, lightning based magic. And uh, typically stuff to, uh, like, dispel curses, kind of like holy kind of stuff. Yeah. Then, uh, like, Jessica gets uh, sex appeal. And Angelo gets, uh, like, charm, charisma, or chivalry, something like that. Which is basically the male version of sex appeal. And then Yangus, he gets flails. Like, also, too, like, each character has, like, specific weapons that they have access to. Mm Mm-hmm. And in Dragon Quest VIII, uh, each uh, character has essentially two different kinds of weapons that they can uh, equip. The main hero can equip swords and boomerangs. Uh, Yangus can do clubs and axes, which flails are on the very end of clubs. It's kind of like a specialty at the very end of the tree thing. Uh, Then Angelo has uh, swords and bows, which I usually go the bow route with him. And then uh, Jessica has... Whips, 
think maybe Daggers, I think. That sounds like it should be the... I don't know. Like, it was a really fun game. I really enjoyed the story. Uh, like, as you travel through, uh, you find out that Dulmagus is slowly uh, going and killing the descendants of the uh, ancient sages. Uh, though you're not exactly sure, like, why he's doing this. Until actually, uh, in the mid-game, you actually finally confront Dulmagus and you actually defeat him. However, upon defeating him, unfortunately, you find out that the curse isn't broken. And then uh, Jessica in the party uh, picks up the scepter that Dulmagus had, and then the party goes back to town. But then when you wake up the next day, uh, Jessica is gone. And you you know don't know why she left or anything like that. Uh, then you hear of her uh, being sighted, basically the next area that you go to. And that's where you encounter the next descendant of the sages. And uh, she is actually like uh, on a quest to defeat or kill the next one. And at that point, that's uh, when like you as the player, you kind of figure out that the scepter itself is cursed and is more likely possessing whoever holds it and is actually the originator of the curse. That's why it hasn't been broken yet. Well, like you defeat Jessica, she comes back to her senses and then uh, and you save the sage's descendant, but then unfortunately, uh, in the area that you're in, the house where you're at, the owner's dog, which is already a mean dog anyway, <laughs> or at least is portrayed as being a mean dog, not very nice, uh, inadvertently picks up the scepter and is then possessed by the spirit within the scepter, which at this point is uh, actually uh, the vessel for the spirit of uh, Rapthorn, the Lord of Darkness. Uh, that was actually sealed by the sa- uh, seven sages long ago. And essentially, it's kind of like the classic, you know, the sages cast the spell, their bloodline is what keeps it intact, and by killing the descendants, once all descendants are killed, then the scepter will, you know, the seal will break and Rapthorn will be free. Not really an ideal situation. Yeah. And that basically Rapthorn is the reason why the curse is uh, maintained. Okay. Uh, unfortunately, uh, the, like I said, the dog picks up the scepter, then kills a new, uh, the descendant that you just saved, then, uh, sprouts wings and kind of turns into like a demonic dog. You fight it, beat it, then it flies away. Then you go and come across kind of like the, uh, I guess you would kind of like equate him like to the real world as basically kind of like being the Pope. He is like the highest religious part of the church in the game. Okay. And he is uh, one of the last descendants of the sages. Well, uh, unfortunately, the scepter, after you defeat the dog, is then picked up by Angelo's half-brother, who is extremely power-hungry and ambitious, but is actually able to uh, resist Rapthorn's influence, but, in, but have access to the power. And he actually, in a, spoilers, kills, I think it's like the... Like the High Archbishop or something like that mm-hmm. is what they call him. And uh, so that way he can assume more power in the church and everything and basically trying to get back at Angelo because of stuff in childhood, which if you play the game, you find out about the backstory there. Unfortunately, uh, you fight Marcelo and when you defeat him, uh, because he was the only thing that was kind of like containing Rapthorn, once you defeat him, it fully releases uh, his spirit, which then uh, seeks out his body which actually turns out to be sealed inside the stone uh, giant statue of the goddess in the holy city in a nice uh, little twist of fate, I guess. Yeah. And then proceeds to basically float up into the sky as a giant dark blob of evil and cast darkness upon the world. And that's when you, in another kind of like tick for most Dragon Quest games, you seek out like usually like some sort of like godly or holy beast 
or animal to kind of like aid you in getting where you need to go. When it comes to like travel in the game, I will say uh, the majority of it is done on foot or horseback for like greater speeds until you unlock fast travel. But then to explore more of the world, you end up getting access to a ship, which lets you travel across water. And then usually the final thing in the game that you have access to is flight, which uh, typically just allows you to fast travel, but just not instantaneously. Like, But it also gives you access to like previously uh, uh, unavailable areas. In this case, you uh, come across this island that you couldn't get access to uh, earlier in the game. And that's where you uh, make contact with the god bird. I believe it's pronounced Amphria. And uh, joining forces with her, you face Rapthorn and defeat him. That's like quite the feat. And that releases the curse. The king and the princess go back to normal. Everyone kind of like travels back home. A couple of months pass by. And then the next part of the game is uh, has to do with actually Medea. Because there's a whole thing where Medea is promised to uh, the prince of Argonia, which is an adjacent kingdom to Trodane, because of like an ancient, uh, well, not really ancient, ancient, but uh, basically the two current kings of Trodane and Argonia, respectively, their parents, I think it was Trodane's mother and the Argonian's father, uh, were actually in love with each other. But because of political time and, you know, strife at the time, uh, they were it was kind of like a forbidden love kind of thing, so they couldn't be together. They yeah. had arranged marriages and had to do their thing for their kingdoms. But they made a uh, promise with each other once they came into power and everything like that between the two royal families that even though they could not be together, if uh, in their lineage, if a uh, suitable boy and girl were born on each respective side of the family, they would be wed to uh, consummate their love that uh, they never got to do. And uh, she unfortunately gets essentially uh, engaged to a very pompous, bratty little guy from Argonia. And you actually, like, help him out and stuff, and, like, he's extremely cowardly and weak and extremely pompous, snobby, all those things. All the bad stuff. (laughs) Yeah, all the bad qualities you typically assume with someone that's, like, a spoiled royal brat. I won't get into, like, the full backstory with him, you know, play the game if you want to know. It's a nice little quest, though. That's when you kind of get more into, like, the actual, like, dragon enemies in the game. Because up until that point, the first ability that the hero gets in swords is Dragon Slash, but you don't hardly come across any uh, dragon-type monsters until this point in the game. So you finally get to utilize an ability that... <laughs> You've really... stored for a while. Yes. You uh, come to find out... Uh, which also, too, a little uh, tidbit that the uh, the hero in the game oh has a little... Uh, pet mouse named Chewy. Oh, that's adorable. That uh, travels in his pocket and stuff, but like you can uh, feed him different kinds of cheeses that you can make in the game uh, during battle, and he can spew like different kinds of breath attacks, whether they be like stuff that deal damage or buff or debuff or heal. I mean, that's fairly useful. So, you know, like, and it's just kind of like in the game, just like, oh, like he's just a really like cool special mouse. Yeah. Well, in the post game, you come to find out that he is actually the hero's grandfather. That was, uh, he, and he transformed himself into a mouse. And that his grandfather is uh, of a race of beings known as draconians, who are actually dragons that can take human form. And that the hero's parents were actually a prince of Argonia and a woman, or Chewie's daughter, a draconian woman, uh, from their secret village. And because uh, she had wandered out into the real world, had gotten like attacked by monsters, and he saved her. They spent time together, fell in love, 
all that good stuff. Well, uh, as being like a prince of Argonia, you know, like he had like responsibilities and stuff, but he wanted to marry her and make her his queen because he was like first in line for the throne. Well, because of draconian law, she had to return to the village and was forbidden from being able to see him again. Well, there is a path that is uh, available to you to take in the post-game, which is where the strongest enemies in the game are available. They have the highest level, highest HP, highest defense, all that stuff. And uh, it's very perilous, so unless you're, like, appropriately leveled, you know, when you go there, like, it's very easy to die, trust me. My first time, died quite a bit before I went through. (laughs) Uh, Well, as the story goes, uh, the hero's father, in an effort to try to get his uh, wife back, because they actually did get married before she went back, made his way to the Dragovian Path and tried to make his way to the village to try to get her back or win her back or talk to somebody about trying to release her to him. Well, unfortunately... He died of wounds uh, sustained just outside of the village on the path. He almost made it, but unfortunately died. When his body was discovered, it broke her heart and uh, inadvertently uh, ended up killing her in the long run. Oh. But before she died, uh, she gave birth to their son, which is you, the hero, in the game. And he's supposed to be apparently a first in history where he's half... Uh, human and half Dracovian, so like he's half dragon. He's raised for a few years by Chewie and everything, but then the uh, kind of like the chief of the village or the king, if you want to call him that. I think he was actually called the king of the Dracovians, the strongest of them all, or lord. Maybe it was lord. Mm-hmm. Something lofty. Anyway, uh, it was decreed that um, because he was half human, that he had to be expelled from the village. And this is when he was still just like, you know, a small child. Well, his grandfather objected, you know, saying blah, 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 this, blah, 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 that. Well, the Lord of uh, Dracovians was pretty hardcore on, like, he has to go. uh, Because, you know, he's half human and doesn't belong in the village. And so the grandfather was just like, okay, well, I'd like to join him in exile. And, well, the Lord Dracovians pretty much is, from what I remember, says, well, part of the reason why, like, I don't want you to do that is because, you know, is secrecy. Because one thing was, is that, like, along with being expelled, exiled from the village as a child, uh, the Lord of Dracovians also placed a curse upon him, which completely wiped his memory of everything of the village. So that way, you know, he couldn't accidentally reveal anything. Yeah. Well, when uh, that happened, that that also inadvertently was a curse that also prevented him from being cursed by anything else. Because, see, sometimes during battle, whenever, like, someone, uh, an enemy would, like, try to, like, curse uh, the hero in the party... Whenever it specifically was a curse, sometimes other party members would be affected, but there would be like a like white glowing shield with like a dragon crest on it that would like pop up that would like block the curse for the hero. Yeah. Which early in the game, it never explained it. It just would spontaneously happen. Later on, after you find this out post game, that makes a lot more sense. Because that's literally the curse of the Lord of the Dracovians that is actually kicking in to prevent any other curse from taking effect. It's kind of useful in that case. (laughs) Which, if you think about it in a way, I guess that was the Lord of Dracovians' way of trying to uh, do a a parting gift for the child. You know, like, I'm having to do this so that way you can't say anything about us. But at the same time, it will also help you out in the future. Which actually makes a big deal because that's the reason why he was unaffected by Rapthorn's curse at the very beginning of the game. Yeah. Otherwise, if it hadn't been for that, honestly, in this turn of events, if the Lord of Dracovians had not cursed the hero and expelled him from the village, Ratthorn would have ended up ruling slash destroying the world in the long run. So it's really good you got that curse. It's just a roundabout way of saying that. 
the hero gets a really cool ability when he hits level 65, which, by the way, is extremely hard to get to. And for those of you that play JRPGs, know what I mean when you get high level like that. It's, I believe it's called Dragon Soul. It's probably the coolest, most visually stunning uh, attack in the game. And uh, the characters also have an ability uh, where they uh, quote-unquote psych themselves up. Gives them a multiplier to their stats, and it has varying degrees of level. Start off like 5, then it's 20, then it's 50. Early levels, uh, you can ca- you cannot get past 50. But once you hit, I think it's level maybe 12. Uh, for those of you that are listening, if you know for sure, you can reply with the correct number below if you would like. But... Essentially, uh, you can psych up to 100, which at that point, essentially, each of your party members can, for Dragon Ball Z reference, go Super Saiyan. Especially the first character. The main hero, he wears a bandana most of the time. But when uh, he goes 100, uh, psych 100 for the first time, it kind of like does like a little like cutscene mid-battle. And it kind of like zooms in on him and spins around. And he literally does like the whole like Dragon Ball... Uh, pose where like he throws his arms up and X in front of him, then slams him down to the side and he like powers up and it's got like a Vegeta purple glow to it, but then his hair gets all spiky. <laughs> like he goes from looking like a happy Goku to a pissed off Trunks very quickly. That's quite a leap. Oh yeah. I haven't watched it in a long time, but I know that's, I miss Trunks. Like, like think original Trunks when he very first came back and sliced Frieza. Like he goes from happy Goku to that. Very quickly. Just before the whole Android fiasco. Mm-hmm. But I mean, like, I pumped probably 300 plus hours into the game, just kind of like messing around, playing, replaying, just trying different things, different... Well, I mean, it's, like I said, it's a very linear game, so there's not exactly a whole lot of deviation that you can do, but other than, like, maybe try different kind of, like, skill trees, just to try different kinds of playthroughs. Personally, I always went with, because when you get high enough level uh, without max level, it's uh, not too hard to max out two skill trees Mm -hmm. um, for each character. But to completely max out all three, you would need to, one, max out each character level. And on top of that, also need to find the appropriate number of seeds of skill to accumulate enough extra skill points to max everything out. But uh, for the hero, I would typically do uh, swords and bravery. Then for Jessica, it was usually sex appeal and whips. Angelo <laughs> would be his uh, charisma and his bows. And then for uh, Yangus, I would do his uh, axes. And I can't remember exactly what it was called. Maybe it was like humanity or something, maybe? Because like, it, it dealt with like his ability like to make friends. I remember the ultimate ability in that. Like He called in, like he was just like, the whole thing was... He would all of a sudden like shoot everyone out of the way and just like, come on, everybody. And then like everyone that you'd met throughout the game would like just rush in as like a mob and just like beat Rally? the Rally? F- yeah. And would just like beat the fuck up out of like whatever it was. And that was like his ultimate ability in that skill tree. I would call it Rally, but it's hard to tell what it really is. But I mean, like it was a lot of fun, all things considered. It sounds fun. I wish I could get into them. It's the grind that I can't. I mean, it's definitely like, uh, you know, along the mentality of like there's a certain level of grind to it, but you don't have to like hardcore grind in the game to play it, if that makes sense. I mean, like there's a, there's a degree of grinding here and there just to get strong enough to advance. But if you don't mind like some strategy and a little bit of struggle here and there, it's really not that bad. Though, like with any other JRPG, to an extent, you can kind of cheese them by uh, over-leveling early, and then simply as you progress through the game, defeating bosses, because most bosses, 
in my experience, are designed to have enough XP to give at least one or two level bumps per party member when you defeat them, appropriately for that time unless they're overleveled. So, like, say if you're beginning area, like, they expect you by the time you leave it to be level 10. If you instead, like, level up to, say, 20, then not only will you be overleveled going into the next area, and it would be easier, but as you defeat bosses easier and easier, uh, you'll be able to level up a little bit faster that way and, quote-unquote, move through the game uh, more quickly as well. Uh, because if you're more interested in trying to kind of not necessarily breeze the story, but have the story be a little bit more streamlined without having to, like, stop here and there to grind. You can just do uh, an early grind, hardcore at the very beginning, and then just kind of, like, somewhat breeze your way through the majority of the rest of it. I attempted that in the newest one. Yeah, it's just that, like, when you try to do an early game, unless you just have the patience for it, it can get extremely monotonous. Um, but that's when, like, you know, like, little, like, uh, tricks and tips come in. Like knowing like which enemies to farm, which areas to go to, and how to quicken that pace uh, as quickly as possible. You know, similar to the Iron Dagger trick in Skyrim at the very beginning. Build up those iron skills, then you have Daedric and Draconic in no time. Yeah. And the next thing you know, like you're flooding the market with legendary great iron daggers. <laughs> you know, I never actually took the time to upgrade them. See, if there would be one mod that I would ever like add to a Skyrim game would probably be like real-time economy. Literally just have it introduced in the game to where like if I flooded the market with iron daggers, like their value just went down. Coming up next is gold rings. Or I buy up everything from everybody in the world and all of a sudden like this price of it skyrockets. They're going to want to know how to melt down iron daggers again. Mm-hmm. I mean, it shouldn't be that difficult. I wish they gave us an option to do that. Uh, it kind of reminds me of... Uh, the one webtoon that mean you've been reading the plus 99 reinforced stick. <laughs> yeah. Whenever he uh, farms all those ascended weapons and stuff and then sells them all to like be rich. Yeah. And then it just kind of crashed the uh, economy in game because of that. The overall <laughs> value of all those mythical great items went down. It's, it's in a weird spot right now, but that's neither here nor there. But he did ruin the economies. But I mean, like as a whole, I mean, like I think it's a really fun game. It's got some colorful characters. Really nice art. And uh, what's it called? Like the Tokyo Grand Orchestra? Symphony Orchestra? Symphony yeah. Orchestra. I don't know exactly. Uh, no, no disrespect to the to the group. Uh, I just can't think of their uh, proper title off the top of my head here. But uh, they are uh, contracted to be the essentially main and only producers of the music for the Dragon Quest series. That changed when the new one came out for a while and people got real mad. Mm-hmm. And so they had to add both of them into the special edition that came out. Oh, yeah. But I mean, like, I do definitely recommend playing the game. They do have the 3DS version, which added some extra features and story and playable characters. Plus $128 price tag. Yeah. It is a little pricey, you know, like, if you want to go that route. But, and 70 uh, cents. <laughs> <laughs> just tack on the cents. Yeah. The main difference, as far as I remember with the 3DS version, is that it added some extra quest uh, story with... Mori, who's the proprietor of the Monster Arena in-game, which uh, there's a small side quest you can do there, which uh, lets you become a kind of like a monster tamer, but essentially what you are is that you're the owner of a monster team. And there's special monsters throughout the world that you can find, uh, because for the most part in the overworld, everything is random encounter. Like, you're just running through the world, and all of a sudden you'll just, you know, music will take off. You get, like, a little zip-cut scene similar to, like, what you remember from Pokemon back in the day. Exactly. 
and then like you go into your battle scene, you do the fight, then you go back to the overworld. Well, whenever you see an actual monster in the overworld, that is a specialty unique monster. Uh, they're typically extra powerful, harder to kill, but when you do kill them, uh, they have different grades of copper, silver, and gold, and they drop a uh, coin appropriate to that rank that you can then sell for money. Uh, but once you become a uh, owner of a monster team, when you defeat these monsters, they're named monsters, and you can actually recruit them to your team. And then uh, the hero can get an ability later on if you go through the monster arena that allows you to actually call your team into battle and uh, kind of give your party members a break for a minute and allow them to absorb some damage and also dish out some damage uh, to a powerful enemy. Yeah, I mean, it's basically Pokemon when you got a monster team. Mm -hmm. Then the other character is a character named Red, who is an old associate of Yangus that you run into early game. Uh, later on, um, she was known to give you a uh, special flail, which was a powerful weapon that was only equipable by Yangus. But in the 3DS version, I believe she actually becomes a character that you can add to your party, along with Mori. So instead of just having four, you were now able to have six and were able to interchange your characters out somewhat. They had to have a reason to sell it on yeah, the DS. Exactly. Other than just you know trying to do a 3DS version. Unfortunately, the DS shop is down, so you can't buy it discounted on their shop. Or anything. Of course. So we'll add a link to the PS2 version and uh, the overpriced DS version from Amazon because we're Amazon associates. As far as, you know, like I said before, uh, if you have any interest in those kinds of games, definitely recommend giving Dragon Quest VIII Journey of the Cursed King a try. Uh, it's definitely my favorite Dragon Quest, uh, story-wise, play, uh, gameplay-wise and everything. Uh, maybe because it was my introduction to the series, but it's just the one that I've had the most fond memories playing, uh, especially from back in the day. I like Dragon Quest. I wish I could really get into one. I try. I love to watch somebody play it, but I just can't. I just can't do it very long myself. I, I do it for two or three days, and then I kick myself for buying it again. But that's just a me and a JRPG thing, not a Dragon Quest problem. Well, I mean, like it's again, you know, like you got those like yourself that may just not be really into that kind of game, but. I mean, hey, even if you're not interested maybe so much in playing it, I'm sure there's plenty of Let's Plays out there, you know, for people that may want to play it. And one day, possibly, if we can do uh, get our stream part of our uh, network up and going, uh, maybe one day I can try to do a playthrough for y'all. I would watch that. We have a Linktree link in the description of our YouTube channel's episodes, or even on the podcast episodes, there'll be a Linktree link. And inside it, we'll have our YouTube channel, our website for all the gruesome gaming groups uh, podcasts and all of our social links you could any of the social links will keep you informed on that and you can contact us on that as well so if you want to reach out tell us what you think also if you just like to leave a review on youtube or on your podcast app we'd love to hear that we have two other podcasts besides this one uh, my sister and i do brother knows quest it's a podcast where i bring a random tabletop role-playing game and talk about it and she tells me what she thinks of it after taking some notes while i'm talking horrific history and hauntings Everything you need to know about that is in the name. We cover horrific history or haunting, stuff like that. And it's my sister telling me about these events. And I usually have something to say here and there inside the podcast. If you want to leave a tip, the website for all the podcasts in that link tree will have a tip option for each of the episodes. Yep. Anything and everything is appreciated, guys. Uh, little or big. And uh, as always, I do uh, 
encourage you guys to uh, give us some feedback. Tell us if there's anything you like hearing about specifically, maybe want to hear more about, maybe go in more depth about, or maybe there's anything that y'all would like us to talk about specifically. Or if you just want to say hi. Yeah, or just say hi, you know, I mean, like, between me, Ramey, Beth, you know, like, we would like to try to interact with y'all a little bit and just, you know, try to build up a community, you know, like, we're just a couple of friends, you know, trying to do a podcast, have some fun while we're doing it, and hopefully maybe build a community and one day maybe possibly make a living out of it. Yep, that's the dream, I guess. Yeah, I mean, like, I like working in the kitchen. I love to cook, but... You'd rather make it more of a hobby than a reliable income. Preferably. But you never know. It's a good skill to have. Uh, yeah. Um, no hating on any cooks out there. All the respect. Those of you in the industry. I've been Ramey. And this has been Dakota. You've been listening to Leveling Duo. Logging off. Logging off. <laughs>